from McDonald's and was supposed to be, uh, I know it's a very serious group, and, uh, and so uh, Mickey's supposed to do a, a little uh, humor, healing through humor. And I thought we had a chairman. I was sitting over there waiting to have the chairman do this, and the gentleman right next to me said, you are the chairman, see. <laughs> and so uh, with no further ado, I don't think I'm supposed to do I don't know what chairman do, so I, I guess I won't do any ceremonies, but just introduce Mick. Mick, Mick. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic. Now, there's a few things I would like to get out of the way first. My last name is not McMuffin. I told him it was Stud Muffin. <laughs> and I really don't know why I'm here. I, uh, Joe... Asked me to, the other day if I would uh, come down and do some healing, and I bought about two thousand sheets and some tambourines. But uh, if we all go down by the river. I'll start. I guess I'm supposed to talk a little bit about humor in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I like to talk a lot about it. Uh, it's a key part of my program. That's why I was brought up in AA uh, through the grace of God program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and a lot of laughter. I've been sober since August 11th, 1966. Of course, back then they were accepting young people. I came in when I was six years old. Uh, 26 years old, I'm sorry. But I just want to say a few things about... Doc Gayhafer and his brother, Dan, he's the chairman of this thing. Uh, I kind of made up with him over the last night. I went to him and I told him, you know, I didn't like him slandering my name, that uh, uh, as good looking as I am, I don't need that kind of stuff to go around and ruin my image. And uh, I said, he said, well, we'll make it up to you. And I said, no, I want to make it up to you too. So I said, what would you like to do? I'll give you anything you want to do. And they said, we'd like to go horseback riding. And I told him, okay, I can arrange that because I used to be a cowboy uh, a few years ago. And so I took them over to the horses and, and they climbed on the back and, and all of a sudden the horses started jumping and bucking and kicking and they started hollering and screaming, embarrassing the hell out of me. Finally, the manager from Kmart came out and unplugged the machine for me. I am glad to be here. Humor is a very important part of the program. And I'm going to use the big book in case anybody's wondering. That's what this is. It's called the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we're starting to notice here lately, if you want to hide anything from an alcoholic, you hide it in the big book or they don't look in there anymore. But I'm going to see that uh, you learn something from the big book today anyway. I learn all the time. I, I got the kind of mind that I can I could read a novel and lay it down, come back an hour later and read it again, get the same kick out of it. I just don't retain things up here, and, and I know a bunch on the front row will agree with that. 
The dictionary defines humor as an ability to perceive, enjoy, or express what is comical or funny. It's a state of mind. And some of us have to work hard to get to there. (laughs) But uh, i just like to tell you that's the dictionary's version. I want to read to you how the big book, what the big book says about humor. It's in the chapter entitled The Family Afterwards. It's talking about when you're talking to an alcoholic. Uh, Back years ago, some of you probably don't know this, but they, they used to not have treatment centers. They used to not have any place you could take a drunk. You went to his house. And you've got a lot of humor there. Uh, my sponsor used to take me to on 12-step calls, they call them. And you went to the person's house or wherever, under a bridge, wherever they were at at that time, and you sat down and you talked to them. And you shared your experience, strength, and hope with them. And, and uh, he never let me say anything, but I went with him a lot. And, and finally, he's, he called me about 2 o'clock in the morning one time. He said, I want you to handle this one. And I was so happy, you know, he's going to let me do something. And uh, I went there uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning and walked up to that door, and, and it was torn off the hinges. I thought, my God, what has he done to me? And I went in there, I walked on in like an idiot. And it was real dark, and I could hear some weeping and sobbing in the back room. And I walked back there, and there was this drunk drinking his wine. And I sat down and talked to him, and... And uh, I left, and I called my sponsor up and chewed him out for sending me down there in a dangerous situation. And I don't know if the guy ever got sober or not, but I stayed sober. And that's the way it used to work. And now today, all you got to do is sit in a meeting and wait for him to come to you through the treatment centers, which is fine. But it's, I'm going to read to you here. It's, it's from the family afterwards. And it's talking about, we've been speaking to you of serious and sometimes tragic things. We've been dealing with alcohol and its worst aspect. But we aren't, gloom, we aren't a gloom lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. So we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over seemingly tragic experiences out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered and have been given the power to help others. We are sure that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. If anybody, some people I will see around these meetings, I'm going to take some inventories now. (laughs) Mine's been taken all weekend. But they sit around these meetings, they're so damn serious that they smile, their face would crack. And I don't understand that myself. Maybe I just, I was brought up that way in AA. Laughter was a key thing. Uh, most of the time, you were what they were laughing at. <laughs> and you had, to, you had to almost give it up and laugh at yourself or go get drunk. And I used to go to them and say, why do you all pick on me? Uh, he said, you're an easy subject. <laughs> I said, but it hurts my feelings. He said, who cares? <laughs> I said, when do I get to pick on you? He said, you're wise. You won't open your mouth. And that's the way we did it. So I was trying to pick out something that that really is is humorous in AA. And what better thing than relationships? They are humorous. I know I've been in them. I was divorced after 18 years of sobriety and 
started going out with you drunk women and you all were crazy. <laughs> I thought. Until for a long time, I found out it wasn't you, it was me. And I had to start practicing my AA on, on you women. And so uh, I just let it go. I knew it wasn't you. I knew it wasn't God. And I knew it wasn't AA. It was me. It's always me. If I'm miserable, it's me. If I'm walking around looking for a crisis, I'll find one. If I'm walking around in a crisis, I'll keep it. And if I'm walking around coming out of a crisis, I want it back. <laughs> but this is a little story that some of you probably heard, and I always enjoy telling it. Then it's clean. So some of you may not like it, but anyhow, it has to do with sponsorship. You know, today, sponsors, these people, they... They, they want to run lives, it seems like, instead of just sponsoring them out of the big book. My sponsor happened to be a big book thumper. Every time I opened my mouth, he thumped me with the damn thing. And I said, you keep doing that, I'm going to get drunk. He said, here's a dollar, have a drink. So, you know, you either wanted to stay sober back then or you didn't. And, and I guess that's the way I made it. But, but this is a, a young lady who was sponsoring this cow, and, and she really thought she was doing the right thing because she... She said, uh, uh, now I would want you to have a relationship or sex. And we're going to get into that, too. It'll be brief. <laughs> but I would want you to get in a relationship or have sex for a year. Now, I don't know where it says that in the book, Ed, but, but that's what they tell these young people. Uh, if you read the book, it says it's simply between that person, the other person, and God. and doesn't mention sponsors' names anywhere. But somewhere along the line, they've come up with this thing, and this poor little girl did it. Boy, she really struggled hard for the whole year. She was just done everything perfect. She was really doing a great job. And come her year was up, she got her, her token, and she ran to her sponsor and says, Now, can I have me a man? And the sponsor gave her the green light, and she ran out and found her a nice sick one. Because that's all that's around. <laughs> and she went out on her date and she had a nice date. They had dinner and wine, not wine, but they had dinner and food. <laughs> I'm going home. And, and everything went real good through the night and he took her home and he walked her to the door and he said good night and left. Well, naturally, she went into a crisis. She ran to her sponsor and said, my God, nothing happened. She said, he didn't kiss me or didn't try anything. So the sponsor finally got wise and said, go home and read the big book about sex. And the little girl said, what page is it on? And she, <laughs> she, she the sponsor said it's on page 69. Which is true. This is not my deal. <laughs> so the girl got all enthused and she ran home and she got her big book out and she got over enthused and turned to the wrong page. And she turned to page 96 and this is what she read. <laughs> Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. <laughs> Search out another alcoholic and try again. If you are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you have to offer, we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. 
Sell this big blue book right here. All you got to do is read it. Now about sex. I, uh, when Joe first came around, Joe, sausage over here, uh, he had problems with sex. Uh, well, never mind. I'm not going to get into the problem because his wife is probably here somewhere. But he came to me and he said, Mick, what can we do about this? And I said, we ain't going to do nothing about it, I can tell you that. I said, but there is a place that helps people like that. It's called Sex Anonymous. And, and we can go there and maybe get some help. And, and he agreed with me and we went to the meeting and we started walking up to the door and Joe started walking inside and I said, wait a minute, where are you going? He said, I'm going into the meeting. I said, no, that's not why we're here. We're going to wait out here and have, wait for one of them to have a relapse. <laughs> and I guess they had a nice meeting that night. Joe and I both went home with big eyes. And just the other thing I want to talk to you about is my home group. If you're having a problem with sex, you come and join my group. The central group, we meet at Hancock and St. Catherine every Tuesday night. Got 200 of the finest drunks in Louisville. By the way, I'm not from Louisville. Uh, I was. I'm from Clarksville in Indiana. And I'm uh, not a Hoosier, neither. Uh, I'm over there as a missionary. <laughs> and it's taken me five years, and I ain't made no progress. Well, you can join our group because we have one saying in our group. Come to our group. If you're having a problem with sex, come on in. We'll let you have sex the first year all you want. Just have all the sex you want. The second year, we'll get you a partner. <laughs> Isn't it good to laugh? This makes you feel good inside. I don't think it's a state of mind. I think it's a state of heart. And if you haven't worked these steps in this program, you'll have a tough time laughing, but it'll come to you. It'll come to you. I used to think, why in the hell in the hell am I going to laugh about the rotten things I've done in my life? And, and there's a lot of things I did that wasn't funny. But I also had to remember the past. And it tells you somewhere, and I don't want to regret the past. I don't want to shut the door on it. And so I handle it with laughter. When I first came around, uh, my wife and I at that time were young in AA at 26 years old, and we were asked to talk quite a bit. And uh, I, I talked a few times, and we talked together, and, and I heard her, and, and she was laughing about me beating her up. And, and then she laughed about her beating me up. And so from that night on, I never had no problems about laughing. I wish I'd have killed her now, but I don't hold a resentment. I, I just want to get even. <laughs> Laughter will set you free, ladies and gentlemen. Laughter will lift a thousand pounds of guilt up off your shoulder. Laughter will clear away the past so God can enter into your heart and you can start enjoying this program. And if I didn't enjoy the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, why would I be here? Everything I looked for in the bottle, I found in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Peace of mind, contentment, happiness, joy, laughter, laughter. So no wonder God wants us to be happy. He's tired of hearing all the other stuff, I probably. <laughs> but I want to thank you all for listening. I'm not going to hold you here very long. Uh, I was also told by the other tape guy that he had an hour and a half tape. And I don't know why he said that to me. I always quit on time. 
most of the time. But I hope you enjoy the conference. I'm glad to be here, and I want to thank Joe for asking me, and thank you all for listening to me. Mickey didn't introduce me, so I'll introduce myself. I'm Joe, and I'm an alcoholic, same guy that was up here a while ago. And uh, gosh, he got done quick. Mickey actually um, almost saved my life, almost saved my life, because I went to the uh, Jeffersonville Christmas meeting, and it was a candlelight meeting. And they had all these uh, candles and turned all the lights out, but they had two candles that I think someone deliberately stuck right by this podium. And Mickey said, came running up, and I thought he was going to correct my story. And he said, your arms are going to catch on fire. I had my arms right out over the fire. And thank you, Mick, for, for saving me. I, I, my tail's been on fire a lot of times, but, but never my uh, arms. Everybody thought I had about a two-hour talk, but I like to keep notes because I lose track. and I don't even know where I'm at. So um, Doris is over here, and when we went to San Diego, it was my wife, and um, we went to San Diego, and I, I missed one meeting that she went to, and, and this guy tells a little bit, he was telling his story, and I know that when I was out there drinking, I, didn't, I only perceived what it was like. You know, I had no idea what it was like out there. Not the, not the foggiest. She knew everything that was out there. Doris knew every, every event, what I was wearing. She had all the detail. And so, you know, uh, this guy was saying that in AA, out on that literature table, you'll see a book that says, As Bill Sees It. You know, Bill's only telling what he thought it was. And Lois wrote a book, and it's Lois Remembers. <laughs> And that's the truth. So I, uh, I, I do what, like, and there was a comic strip, uh, Little Abner and Mammy Yoakum and Pappy Yoakum, and Pappy would tell a story, and Mammy would say, Pappy, it weren't that way. And Pappy would look back at her, and he'd say, well, Mammy, mainly it was so. <laughs> and that's the way I remember it. Mainly it was so. You know, there's elements of truth in it, but it's the best that I could do. Uh, in my period of drinking, we had uh, a family that split apart. And back then, we didn't know the word dysfunctional, so I wasn't able to use that. But uh, it was just, uh, it got pretty ugly when I was drinking. And, and a lot of things that I thought were really funny, I noticed that Doris would never have thought they were funny. And, uh, and in Al-Anon, they, they told me, well, if you want to spot who the alcoholic is, look at the spouse. The spouse is grim, you know. The alcoholic's having a great time, and you look over at the one that's grim. That one's spouse is an alcoholic. So when, in my drinking period, uh, our family split, and my daughter uh, hated uh, Doris because she would attack me when I came home. And uh, being on my back one time, didn't you, Doris? But I've forgiven her about that. And as soon as she gets drunk, though... <laughs> <laughs> and my son did not like me at all and my daughter was oblivious about it she wrote a poem and took it into school I just read it you know a few years back when she when she uh, 
I got some notes out and, and it had her poem in there. And it said, uh, what is a drunk? They asked her to do a little poem because the dad would just come in and fall down and sleep with the dog. She thought all parents slept with the dog, the daddies. And she, and it was, she was only about eight years old. What is a drunk? A drunk smells like a skunk. That was her first line. That's me. Her dear old dad, and she's announcing this in grade school. And, and uh, today I can uh, look back at it and laugh, but then, you know, it kind of, I'm very sensitive. I'm not no sensitive alcoholics. I know there's one or two of you out there. And things got really bad. There was a little thing in the Courier Journal that said, drink and dance, laugh and lie, love the midnight through, for tomorrow we shall die, but alas, we never do. And that's kind of the way my life was at that time. Now, we were uh, into country, uh, we weren't into country songs, but there are a few of them that kind of express what we all felt about each other. Uh, my song was, How Can I Miss You If You Don't Leave? <laughs> and then uh, Doris had a song, and it was dedicated to me, and it said, if the phone don't ring, it's me. <laughs> and I, Mike had one, my son, and um, he said, Get the hammer, Mommy. There's a fly on Daddy's head. <laughs> and then that was the other one. I gotta get drunk, and I sure do dread it. <laughs> and kind of that's the way it was back then that... Um, that I just, you know, at that point I had to get drunk, and I did dread it. The, uh, there was a guy that came by, a friend of mine came by and, and got me one day in Central Park, and I was drunk on vodka, and he told me that he could help me. He wasn't in AA, he just carried the message. And at that point I was so sick and tired that I wanted to be different. I didn't realize that it was alcohol, that was causing my problems. I knew there were a lot of, as Clancy says, crapheads out there, and they were causing my problems. If they would straighten out, I would be okay. But I was really sick, and, I, and he offered to take me to this uh, hospital in Georgia. So I went there, and I was there for 10 days, and I still shook when I got out. But... Um, I never went back to that was my last drink and that was July 29th 1971 so uh, well I don't really God gets all the credit and you people in this program all the people uh, you know I'd be dead now if it weren't for folks that were there like Mickey who was there in 66 and all my predecessors who was who were were there and I would have been a goner and Al-Anon really saved my buns because when Doris got into Al-Anon she left that literature around and I, told, I didn't let her know I was reading that trash. But I would read it, and it told me about this disease. So actually, it was Al-Anon that, that got me into the AA program and saved my life, and I'm grateful, ever grateful to Al-Anon for that. In fact, I got into Al-Anon, and I'm a member now because uh, it made my relationship with my daughter better. I tried everything, you know, and I couldn't get along with my daughter. She's got 10 years of sobriety now herself. And we couldn't get along, and uh, I told Doris... Well, I'd sure like to, you think Ellen and I would help me? And she said, yeah, but don't go to my meetings and screw them up. 
Now, you know, my mom, when I was 15 years sober, I went over to my mother's place and sat down and I said, Mom, I've been sober 15 years now. And she just kind of looked up and she said, well, Joe, I've been sober 80. <laughs> and, you know, it made it, well, maybe that's not a big deal. Walking around normal is not a big deal. So I got into um, AA and somebody at a meeting walked up to me and introduced himself to me because I kind of glared out at you people with kind of half shut my eyes like Clint Eastwood and I glare out at you people because you were my wife's friends and you weren't my friends and what, what is so funny around the coffee pot? I don't see anything funny. Life is serious, you know. And uh, then a guy came up to me and introduced himself to me and he said, you must be new here. And I thought, that guy's a psychic. How did he know? They didn't even have the 800 numbers then. And he uh, told me his story and introduced me to all the people in the group. And, and shoot, I wouldn't be anywhere else today. You know, it's the finest, finest organization in the world. And, if, and my, um, my sponsor got me involved in service work. He, he was, it was through deception. He said they were going to have an election and if I would stand for GSR, would I do that? And he said, it wouldn't be an election if nobody stands. I said, well, I don't want to do that. I don't even know what that is. I want to do that. And he said, well, just stand for the election. And so they had one of those railroad deals. He, nominated, he said, I nominate Joe for GSR. Another guy says, I move nominations be closed. All in favor, I. And there I was, you know. <laughs> Man, I felt like I was alone and naked in a cornfield. And... And I became a GSR, and then I got involved, and, uh, and I loved it. After once I got involved, and somebody, we were having a little talk up front here, and we talked about service work. And, you know, helping another drunk is the finest service work in the world. And like, I thought that uh, when they came in, that all the coffee pots were automatically on. You know, somebody would, they just were there. I never knew that people, humans, came in and made coffee. Till my sponsor came in and he was out there making coffee. We'd go to the meetings early and Carter was making coffee. And I said, I got a, I got a resentment. And I said, how come you get to make all the coffee? How come you get to put out all the ashtrays? How come you get to do all this? And what's wrong with me? And he said, next week it's yours. So the next thing I know, Carter was sitting at home and I was out there getting up early and getting out an hour early for coffee and putting the ashtrays on. I said, they got me again. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm Croatian and uh, it's easy to get, you know, Polacks tell Croatian jokes. You know, they talk about them. <laughs> and my dad immigrated from Yugoslavia. So life, um, though, in, in, uh, in the service has been great. I was a GSR and, and then a DCM and I did public information for Intergroup and for the area and was secretary of the area. Jack knows it. The old Jack T, T over there, he knows that's a tough job. Writing all those minutes up and having people stand up and say corrections to the minutes. You had about two books of corrections, didn't you, Jack? <laughs> and then, uh, then I became a delegate and I went to uh, New York. And all this period of time, though, you know, um, just, uh, they say just walking around sober, you know, just walk around sober and you'd be like a, a walking big book. Not me, brother. When I was walking around sober, I was, uh, you can imagine, they said when I was drinking, he is a drunk, S-O-B. Now, when I sobered up, you just dropped the word drunk out of there. And what do you got left? 
he is a SOB. <laughs> and that's the way it was. You know, I still had anger, resentment, uh, hatred. I had all of those defects that kind of make me want to drink again if I don't do something about them. And I didn't realize that steps through to through 12 is the way that you, uh, that's our treatment. When people would get up here and read how it works, I thought that was just how you opened a meeting. I had no idea. But when Carter got me, we changed all of that. One day I was out in Seattle, and uh, I was about 25 miles, 2,500 miles from home, and I had uh, gotten a free ride from the cab driver because uh, I told him I needed to go to the central office to get a meeting directory. And he said, I'll just take you out there, put the meter down. And, and I said, what are you going to do that for? He said, well, my daughter is in AA, and I'm so grateful that I do this. Then he, uh, we went to a bed and breakfast, and nobody was in. He said, don't worry about it. We'll go to the library, put your luggage there. I'll make you a friend of the library. Now, the way you become a friend of the library, and also this works in, in Washington, is you give them money. <laughs> And then you become a friend of the library. So then he uh, came back and took me back to the B&B, and it was open, and I had to make a long-distance call. So I got a connection, and then the operator cut me off. She said, sir, I'm sorry, I have to cut you off. And I thought, she's cutting me off for some other dude, and I don't like that. And I slammed the phone down, and I walked, started walking out, and I forgot my jacket, and it was cold. Went back in to get my jacket, and the phone rang, and I was the only one there at that bed and breakfast, so I answered it. And she said, oh, I'm so glad that I got you, sir. You slammed the phone down before I had a chance to tell you there was interference on the line, and I had to disconnect you and then reconnect. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, I, I want to make an amend to you. I apologize for my behavior, and I want to make an amend. And she said, well, easy does it, sir. <laughs> Well, you don't know how warm that makes you feel, you know, when you're away from home, you're there all by yourself, and, and this little soft voice comes around, and I said, you friend of Bill's? And she said, yes, sir, sure I am. And then I said, well, I was on my way to a meeting. She said, you better get there. <laughs> she didn't want me to do any more of them phone calls. So life is, uh, life is really good in AA. I have, I have friends uh, everywhere, all through the United States, and as a result of uh, my service work and meeting other delegates in, uh, in New York, life has been a great journey. And I read uh, all the literature that I could read. I read uh, the, all of the books on the AA side, and I read Lois Remembers, which incidentally is one heck of a good book. That, she, she kept a diary and had notes of everything when Bill was out there drinking. And it's just a marvelous book. I love that book, Lois Remembers. So um, life got better for me, and, and today I guess it's uh, better than it ever was. And one of the things I did was kind of a little spiritual journey. I, went, uh, I had an opportunity to sit with Lois at Stepping Stone. She was, I guess, around 90 at the time, and that's mainly it was so, because I don't always get my facts exactly right. But she's around 90, and, and she sat down on the couch, and I sat down, and I, I don't know what to say to Lois, you know, I didn't, you just don't really know what to say, because they're, they're so important in my life, and so Lois took my hand, and, and I said, well, I'm Joe Lois, and I'm an alcoholic, and I've been sober 15 years, the same year I told my mom, I had bad luck on that, and she said, she said, well, you just keep coming back, Sonny. <laughs> Yes, ma'am, I sure will. But that was a marvelous experience. And then I went to um, 
East Dorset, where Bill was born, and I slept in the room right over Bill's, in that on his grandfather's end, and looked out at them green hills that Bill used to look at and, and dream about. And I went to uh, I went to the uh, grave gravesite, and there it was. You know, looking at Bill and Lois's graves, and on top of them were all of these tokens. You know, people were leaving their ten-year tokens and twelve-year tokens, and just a stack of them all over the place. Well, right away. The old me kicked in, and I said, I'm going to take those tokens. <laughs> and then the little committee got up in my head and said, you ain't going to take those tokens. Those people left them there because it meant something to them. And then the other committee said, member said, yeah, but they ain't here anymore, and they ain't coming back. And those tokens will go to waste in my home group. They're going to go to poker chips if we don't get some more tokens. And then the committee said, you better not do it or I'll kick your butt. Well, when that committee member got my attention, I left him there. I'll be back. <laughs> so I had the, I've had the, some wonderful experiences uh, like that. Now, there's some one-liners in the big book. You know, Mick was up here talking about the big book. And there's some powerful, powerful one-liners. It says, um, self-centeredness. That we think is the root of all our troubles. Anybody agree with that? <laughs> uh, you know, when you're self-centered, how can you agree with it? You say, well, that could... <laughs> you must be wrong. And then it says that we alcoholics, this is really powerful. I missed all this stuff for years reading that big book. We alcoholics must be rid of selfishness. We must, or it kills us. Whoa, that's heavy, dude. <laughs> And it says, God makes this possible. We had to have God's help. And then here's one that's, uh, that's great. We have ceased fighting anything or anyone. Hmm. Wait a minute. Not anything or anyone. Most of everything and most of everyone. But not Jack. I'm telling you. Not him. So we, were, we had our... We had our uh, our uh, non-smoking hospitality room, which incidentally is uh, not well attended. There must be a lot of smokers here. <laughs> and the hospitality room, they had the teachers in who um, had their convention here. They're really nice people, but there were a lot of them in our non-smoking hospitality room. And some of us were saying, they're in our room. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of English teachers sitting there having a cup of coffee on us. <laughs> And, uh, and I thought of that line. I said, we have ceased fighting anything and everyone. Now, in the earlier days, I would have probably gone in there and said, hey, don't you know whose room this is? But that, that, it seemed to go okay. They finished their coffee and went to their meetings, and we had plenty of room for everybody else. So that, that went all right. And then it says, um, resentment, you'll like this one, because it says, resentment is the number one offender. Now, you like this line here. We realize that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. I like that. You know, you insult me, I look at you and I say, you're sick. You know? <laughs> Isn't that a great line? But then it says we have to ask God to show us, this is the hard part. We have to ask God to show us the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Now, some of us are a little slow on that tolerance and patience <laughs> but it's a great line so there's all these one-liners have been um, have been really good 
And in the twelfth step, I noticed that it, it doesn't say having had an ego awakening as a result of these steps. <laughs> you know the difference between a dog and an alcoholic? When you bring a dog in, it quits whining. <laughs> Is that a bad one? You know, you can tell. Dora said that, you know, you can tell because some people have grown. You know, you look at a a group and, and, and if the group's groaning, that was bad, man. You better drop that.